This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealu, Paul Calvisi, and 13-year NFL veteran Drew Stanton. So, gentlemen, we have reached the month of April, which means... The NFL draft is just weeks away, a little over three weeks away. And the number three overall pick has got the league abuzz as far as what the Cardinals may or may not do. But this is also, yes, it's the offseason, Paulie, but it's also the silly season because a lot gets written, said. And how much do you believe or really consider to be truth out there? I was just going to say, I believe what the two of you are going to tell me over the next hour. Beyond that, in this month, April, around the NFL, little else. I'm just going to leave it right there. We have stuff flying everywhere. Rumors and reports and teams jockeying for position and maybe trying to elevate the status of one guy and downgrade the other to meet their own needs and wants. You have stuff flying out there about how Houston might take Will Anderson Uh, Come on now. Houston needs a franchise quarterback. They're in prime position to take a franchise quarterback. They're not going to pass on a franchise quarterback at number two. That's just not going to happen. But we hear anything and everything this time of year. And that's part of the reason why we're here, because we just speak the truth here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report. But this also, Drew, it's a sense of fun as well, because leave it to the National Football League. You only play 17 games. It's really half the year. But here we are in the month of April, and it's still dominating the conversation. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the point of this league, right? They found a way to extend it out, and April Fool's, they came and went, and we're still getting all of these jokes that they want to throw out there on Twitter. And everybody's saying, okay, this person's going to trade up to this slot. It's all speculation until it comes. You know, you know, and you're very well aware of these GMs that go through mock draft situations the day of. If this trade happens, this is where this goes, and all of these things. Uh I am a big proponent of making sure that the, the Texans do draft a franchise quarterback for the very reason that Paulie talked about, because we need a pass rusher. And you look at all these things now, if that pass rusher is not there, do you trade back, accumulate picks? Again, you go through these scenarios and these situations, and they're all what-ifs. Everything is a what-if right now. The one not what-if, as you're talking about the beginning of April comes, my mind directly goes to the start of the offseason program, especially with new head coaches. You're in the building. You're excited to get back in there. You get to be around your teammates again. And again, you can't get too far away from this. There's a, a slow ramp-up period right now. But the teams that can utilize this time period in the offseason and get the most out of April, May, June, and use that as a stepping stone into July – in August, when the when it really counts, those are the teams that you're going to be able to do it. Last year at this time, there was so much turmoil with this team. Is they're going to be you know there's so many things that were not in place. We have a direct, clear path of where we're going to go. The only thing that's really remains with the question mark is the draft, and that's always going to be a question mark. But Rodney Hudson, you know, all of these question marks that we had, Kyler Murray's contract, that is 
behind us now. We, we have a lot of things in place, and everybody's very excited to see what Jonathan Gannon's all about. It's a good point. Rewind to this time a year ago. There was a lot of talk, a lot of attention paid, a lot of headlines made for stuff that had nothing to do with the on-field product. So it's been addition by subtraction, all the off-field drama, if you will, that we went through pretty much the entirety of 2022. From the start of the calendar year and the whole all-caps manifesto letter from Kyler's agent all the way to the very end of the year and, and what transpired. So it is refreshing to be talking football and only football. And by the way, I'll just leave the whole Houston discussion at this. If Nick Casario and D'Amico Ryans end up taking Will Anderson, guess what? That means Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud is sitting there at number three. Not necessarily a, a, a dire situation for the Cardinals because then you cash that in El Grande. Somebody's going to come up and take one of those two quarterbacks and they will pay with multiple first-round picks. Cardinals are in a great position at number three, but let's first talk about what is making news over the last 24, 48 hours and it has nothing to do with the NFL draft, but it has everything to do with the future of wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins. Conversation that we've had a number of times here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, but the latest comes from Albert Breer, Sports Illustrated, appearing on the Greg Bedard Patriots podcast about the marketplace for DeHop. Some teams think they're going to cut him. I think the Cardinals are going to wind up cutting him. His market is not great right now. And even for teams like, say, like Kansas City, like Kansas City would need him to take a significant pay cut. Yeah, he'd have to be like take the Smith Schuster deal from like right, a year ago. Right, right. So I clearly there's nobody that was willing to take on the contract and pay the Cardinals initial price. All right, so that's one NFL insider. And before we have our on table discussion on D Hop and his future, how about another NFL insider, Ian Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show on the potential of Hopkins getting, dare I say, released. It's also being alleged that D-Hop is going to be released from the Cardinals, potentially. I think that was reported. Um, I would be surprised if DeAndre Hopkins was released. I've been surprised before. Okay. So he still could be traded. We'll see what happens. He still could be traded. If he was traded, his salary would be adjusted. There it is. You know, maybe even potentially if he's back, it could get adjusted. We'll see. Um, But I think that situation is still sorting itself out. Traded? Absolutely, I can believe that. Being on this roster in 2023, I absolutely can believe that. Flat out released? No, there's just no way, Drew, that the Arizona Cardinals just release a a very, very good wide receiver. There's no doubt. I'm on board with you. It would have to be very, very sour and get that way quickly for the team to feel like they need to move on from him because he's still an elite wide receiver. He's a top two, three wide receiver. He just wants the guarantee and the security of another contract. He might not get that right now. There's a way to appease him and be able to pay him if you don't get the trade market that you want. Now, again, there's a lot of different circumstances that could play out here, maybe as you get closer to the draft, post-draft, all of these things. At the same time, when you get to start a new regime and there's new leadership at the front office position, at the head coach position, all of these things, when you're a competitor, you're getting paid to do a job and you have to go out there. Now, he does not have the security that he wants at this point in time, but I think that this is not surprising 
with where we find ourselves today because as soon as the season was done, it was very apparent that he wanted out. He wanted to go to a different situation. He wanted to get paid. And this is a team that can't just put all their eggs in one basket and say, hey, we're just going to go all in for him right now. They need to cast this wider net and accumulate a better talent pool for what they have because it has fallen so far from where it was. And, and the system change and all of these things of what they're trying to undergo, they can't just sit there and say, hey, we're going to break the bank again for DeAndre. The trade worked out tremendous. When you trade David Johnson, you get the value back in that. You get all of these things. He's an aging wide receiver that you look at it from a team standpoint. And you say, well, yes, we want to keep him around, but we're not going to make him a premium when we have so many other holes that we have to fill. So, Again, it's capable, and it's so funny to hear Ian Rappaport versus you know Albert Breer versus whoever the mouthpiece is for these teams trying to drive down the trade value. And, and everybody kind of has their own guys. You're talking to these things, and, and sometimes these guys are talking to agents. They're talking to all these things. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes that none of us will ever know about, uh, that we're not aware of. But when you see things transpire like this, that you're going to flat-out release him, that's asinine because you're not giving up a guy of his caliber when we still haven't even seen those two on the field together. You want to see what was in the mind of Steve Kime when he made the move to go get Hollywood Brown, to be able to have wide receivers. Game-changing wide receivers are so hard to come by, and when you can get two on the same field and a quarterback that's going to come back healthy and reinvigorated under a new regime, that's what you want to see. Can I make the point that this time a week ago on the Red Sea Report here, Craig, that Albert Breer had put out a report that he believed, per his sources, the Cardinals would receive closer to what the Texans received in return for Brandon Cooks, meaning a fifth-rounder and a sixth-rounder. So I don't know if Albert Breer is getting a stipend from teams like New England and Kansas City and Tennessee and Baltimore and the Giants, all teams who are seemingly in the market for a number 1 wide receiver, but he definitely has been in the camp of trying to drive down the Cardinals' asking price, if that's indeed the case here. Uh, whereas other other insiders have come out and bolstered what DeAndre Hopkins might be worth in a deal. And that's why you, when you hear things or read things, all right, who does this story, this report benefit the player, the team, the agent? A lot of stuff is out there. And I just, it to me, it just doesn't make sense because you just, teams don't get rid of good players unless there's issues within that locker room. And there's no way to know that, Drew. I mean, we're, I'm not in that locker room, but I do know what DeAndre Hopkins means to a team when he is on the football field. Yeah, on Sundays, and that's what matters most. I think the interesting thing about this league, though, it's a league of trends. And last year, the year before, there was this huge emphasis placed on wide receivers. You're seeing wide receivers get these contracts, and everybody's sitting there scratching their head and saying, okay, Christian Kirk got all this money to go down to Jacksonville? I think a lot of these teams kind of circled the wagons and pulled it back and said, well, how much production are we actually getting in relationship to the draft? You look at Odell Beckham right now. He wants all this money. He's not getting that money. DeAndre Hopkins wants to get traded. Brandon Cooks wanted to get traded. If DeAndre Hopkins can't secure a high value, that's shocking to me because he's still playing at a high level. Whatever the attitude thing is or whatever the, you know the practice habits are, whatever that is, when he shows up on Sundays, he's as good as it gets. So you know, maybe it's posturing, maybe it's all of these different guys planning different nuggets, but if you have a strong enough nucleus at leader and leadership within your locker room, especially at the quarterback position, he's going to come in and he's going to follow suit. I know that he will because he wants the ball thrown to him. Any wide receiver that is intelligent, you know, 
you know, they buddy up to the quarterback. When I was playing, Larry would come over here and be like, hey, you want to go out for dinner? You want to, you know, like he's not stupid. That's the way that it goes. So, again, maybe it's just the league as a whole, you know, starting to realign the values of what they want for the wide receiver position because it was getting out of whack of saying, well, we can't pay everybody. And as the salary cap goes up and gets adjusted, we've got to pay the offensive line. We've got to pay pass rushers. The premium of the huge jump to wide receiver was maybe premature. Here's what else I'll say about this current market. Sean Payton came out and said, you know what, Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, we're not trading them. We have too many other issues and injuries in that receiver room. So, okay, um, guess what? The free agent market or potential target market of veteran established proven receivers is very thin right now. And this is a weak draft when it comes to receiver. So, I mean, Drew, you tell me, if you're Patrick Mahomes and you're in Kansas City and you want to defend your Lombardi trophy, and you're like, okay, they're going to give me a round two or round three rookie receiver, well, how'd that work out last year with Sky Moore? He didn't give you much, even in the playoffs, here and there, but it's not plug-and-play with a rookie receiver. And the hit rate, I don't know, two years ago we were talking about the hit rate in the first round for a receiver was the lowest of any position group. In the NFL, in recent NFL draft history, only 17% of first-round rookie receivers make an impact in year one. Yeah, it's not surprising to me because these rookies come in and it's hard adjusting to what you're being told within the offense. Right When you're in college and you're running routes and your physical attributes are far superior, that's one thing. right? When you're not asked to see coverage and be able to adjust routes on the fly or based off of what the coverage is or if you're hot, all of these things. right? And so it makes you play slower and then all of a sudden say, if you have a rough day and you drop the football or whatever it is. There's so many things that go into playing the wide receiver position and Cardinals fans can attest to high draft picks at that position that have not come to fruition for whatever reason. You look at Andy Isabella is a little bit different than some of these other guys that you've tried to draft versus a Rondell Moore versus some of these bigger guys that you would sit in there and say okay well how can we miss on all of these guys and some of it's injury, some of it's the ability to adapt to the scheme some of it's okay well now they can be more physical within five yards can they not get off of press can they not identify coverage down the middle do not learn the scheme so many factors go into playing that position that you need time and if you don't have a good wide receiver coach if you don't have a good veteran that you can learn from and pick their brain on how to go about it there's a certain way that you need to do it at that position within the confines of every team what Patrick Mahomes wants is vastly different than what Peyton Manning de- you know demands versus a Justin Fields type of guy because mm-hmm. the offense is going to dictate what's going on and sometimes there is an acclimation phase for these wide receivers to start to feel comfortable they've got to feel good about what Sky Moore is going to do or they need him to make that jump as an example remember D-Hop is under contract for two more seasons no guaranteed money on any of those two seasons but does have a high cap number in both 2023 and 2024 obviously with the annual league meeting a week ago in Phoenix this was a topic that came up when Jonathan Gannon addressed the media Right now, I'm operating under the premise that hops are starting X, and people are going to have to defend them. So, uh, you know, that's a, probably a better question for Monty. But um, he's been great, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting to work with him too. So, everyone that has a jersey right now, I'm looking forward to coaching and fitting them all in together. And again, that's what a head coach should say until told otherwise. And I'll go back to what was a year ago, Paul, because what did we say? We were anxious to see D-Hop, Hollywood Brown, and Rondell Moore on the field all together with Mm -hmm. Kyler Murray. It did not happen once, and only in one full game did D-Hop and Hollywood Brown play with Kyler Murray. 
So Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network, said this week to keep an eye on, quote, the Titans who are exploring the possibility of trading up to the third overall pick. Let's see, Monty Asaforte has the relationship with Tennessee's front office. Tennessee has also said, both Mike Vrabel and Rand Carthon, the new GM, they need wide receiver one. Maybe there's a Mondo draft day deal involving number three overall and DeAndre Hopkins with the Tennessee Titans. We'll see. And who's to say that that trade hasn't already been, I'll say, done? Just not made official just Could yet. Could be. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Player accountability is, is simply this. you got to define what winning behavior is and hold people to that standard. It's as easy as that. It's your daily actions with what you're doing on a daily basis to improve yourself as a player and as a team. And accountability is just not a negative. It's a positive, too. So when people do the right thing that shows that's winning behavior and, and you're going to see that our guys, we're going to love them up as, as hard as we're going to be on our guys, we're going to love them up even more. So we have the draft happening in three weeks' time. One week from today, however, players back in the building. The off-season strength and conditioning program begins. It is all voluntary. And yeah, head coach Jonathan Gannon, who you heard coming into this segment, as we say welcome back here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report, presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. There's been limited interaction between head coach, coaching staff, and players. Much more will happen on the 11th. Still can't go on the grass. You can't do a whole heck of a lot, but there's more discussion, more football talk. And I think this is going to be interesting because, Drew, when you have a new head coach, new coaching staff, new front office, I would think, even though I say it is voluntary, it would be to your benefit to show up just enough thing to say, hello, my name is, to your new boss. Yeah, it's uh, voluntarily involuntary if you want to be here. And that's kind of the way that it goes. It's been that way for a long time. Now, there are certain veterans that have established things of family life or depending on what it is, if they don't call Phoenix home. But there's other teams that put these you know, off-season bonuses in place for a reason because they want you there. You don't want to be in Green Bay right now, especially if you have a house here. But they put those bonuses in there to make sure that the workout bonuses are in line so you can get guys there. There's a lot to be said for the continuity that's built. And we talked about it the last segment of when you can just kind of come together together and you start building what this roster is going to look like and guys just interacting and playing golf and doing all these things i remember when i first got here lyle signed a line was like hey we you know after every thursday because the week work week was usually done on thursdays he's like we go down and we play golf we just you know grab some beers and go shoot and and have a scramble and make it i was like man this is unbelievable so those are the things that you look for that you are excited about of being back around your guys because again when the season starts you have to rely on everybody in that locker room and, and the band of brothers of coming together of what that looks like it really matters and some of the guys that, that shy away from that or say you know don't deem that as important they start to uh, sit there and like Jonathan Gannon was talking about there's a constant evaluation process that will begin as soon as you step foot in this building and for the vast majority of us you are surviving and each and every year to keep your job 
By the way, Craig, we have breaking news on ESPN. Todd McShay's 4.0, Mock Draft 4.0 is out, and he has Indianapolis trading up with the Cardinals. Cardinals go to four, get Will Anderson, then the Seahawks take Jalen But we've Jaylen already Carter. established, Paul, that yeah. Will Anderson, yeah. according to general manager Paul Calvisi, is yeah. on this roster. And wearing number zero. Yes. I already have that down for the next decade. So now, as for the culture, I thought it was interesting that Howie Roseman, he was on the Kelsey Brothers podcast, your reigning NFL executive of the year, GM of the Eagles, just talking about how there's a difference between rebuilding and retooling, in his opinion. And he said that the best thing in hindsight is when you don't make the playoffs is that you actually bottom out. Because he, in his opinion, it allows you to, quote, flip it quicker. Because if you just win six or seven or eight games, you're more in the middle of the first round. But, for example, when they won four games, they were picking number four, and they took Lane Johnson, their franchise tackle. And he said that changed our offense. We had a franchise tackle. And we were picking at the top of every single round. He said it was almost having a pick higher in each round than you would normally have. And so he said, you know what, I don't use the word rebuilding. He said, because what do you tell the your current players about what, this is a two- or three-year process? No, he said, you can't do that because that you can't build a culture and then expect to just flip it. All of a sudden, we're in win mode now. After the last couple of years, you're not. So I think it's a fine line between maybe what you know, pencil necks like yours truly call rebuild and maybe what a Jonathan Gannon and Amani Asenfort, whether they use that word or not. Because you tell me, Drew, guys in the locker room probably don't want to hear that word. Exactly, right? I, I was just going <laughs> to chime in and say that exact same thing. We call it a rebuild because it is what it is. The people on the, the inside, you have to rephrase that. No team goes in and says, hey, we're going to win three games this year. It just doesn't happen. You're not a competitor. You don't get to this level saying that. And it's possible that you can turn things around. You can get some centerpiece or integral cornerstone like a Lane Johnson or a Will Anderson to be able to get after the quarterback. Those guys can change the complexity of an entire side of the ball that can and then permeate throughout the entire locker room because, yes, their skill set's a certain way. But even hearing Will Anderson talk about how he approaches the game, what his mentality is, that's infectious. That's when you get through training camp and the guy's still going all out and making the person across from you better, not saying, hey, we're going to brother-in-law this and, hey, let's just try and get through today because I don't really feel like doing it. Those things are possible, but when you have to take an honest assessment of what's going on, yes, you're not going to project that out to everybody else. But when you're inside your building and saying, man, we are in a rebuild right now. We are having to do a lot of different things because we're going in a different direction than what was here before. And that's just the fact of the matter of what's going on within this building. No, it's not a rebuild per se because you still have some marquee players that you want to build around, but there is a lot of retooling, a lot of reloading at different areas because they've been neglected for a period of time of saying, well, this has been a major weakness and we have not addressed it. It has to be addressed immediately. And that message, I think, Paul, will come... Well, we'll come daily, but really that message is when Jonathan Gannon is around his players beginning a week from today, informally, yes, but you want to hammer that home immediately, set what you believe is the example and what your expectation is. And he talked about that during his introductory press conference. There is going to be an expectation. I have an expectation on what I want this team to be and what I want you as players to be. Now all of a sudden it's back onto the players and showing that that they're in this thing, whether it's one year, two years, or three years. I think they're building the mindset as much as they're building the skill set right now. That accountability that Michael Bidwell cited as a problem when he made changes in the coaching staff, when they make changes in the roster, they're looking for a certain mindset. 
So when you look at a lot of the players who have been signed, whether it's a Kaiser Woods, whether it's a Zach Paschal, whether it's a Josh Woods, I mean, you look at some of these guys, you can use the word dog, I think, to describe every one of them. Now, are these guys going to be elite pro bowlers? No, not necessarily. But it's going to be that mindset you're building in that locker room. We talk about building this roster from the inside out, O-line, D-line. You're also building from the inside out, I think, from the locker room on the way out, just in terms of the type of player you're bringing in. And guess what? Almost every team takes on the identity of its head coach. And Jonathan Gannon has that similar mindset, and I think they're looking for players to fit that type. Well, Zach Paschal, a Kaiser White, guys that were in Philadelphia last season with Jonathan Gannon to figure out, hey, this is what the expectation is for this new head coach. We're all trying to figure out exactly what Gannon is going to be as a head coach. So we're always looking for different anecdotes, different stories. How about this? A week ago on the Big Red Rage, former Cardinals Kerry Rhodes talking about Jonathan Gannon, who he knows very, very well, former teammates in college at Louisville. The guy was like eat, drink, slept football. I mean, and so mm. you know when he, when he had the uh, the catastrophic injury with the hip that happened right away, just started kind of getting that coaching bug, and you knew he was going to be a great one at that. His energy is palpable. I mean, it's endless. His energy was he that way in college? Oh yeah, that's him. That's what. <laughs> that, and that's what I'm saying. You guys are getting the version of of this guy that it's not a front. It's not something that he's putting on for you know as. as as he's, uh, you know, kind of developed his coaching acumen, but it's not—it's not even about that. That's who he is, and to see him throughout these years still be that guy and not changing—it's—it's uh, it's a beautiful thing to see. Drew, players don't like when coaches aren't genuine, when they're not real, when they're just putting on a show. Whether it's that first team meeting and then you acting differently the next day. Just in the brief interactions that we've had with Jonathan Gannon, he is that highly motivated, highly energetic person every single day, whether players are here or not, whether there are cameras around or not. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said for consistency, right? And that's that's what you really want to do because, as Paul said, that's the tone setter of what this organization is going to be. The general manager can help piece this together. He can put his imprint on it. But the head coach is going to be able to be around the players every single day. He's going to have all these interactions where he's got to get the most out of these guys. Energy is a great thing. It really is. You've got to be able to balance that. Ultimately, though, it's measured by wins and losses. It's hard to have a lot of great energy when you hit these skids or you you have to find ways to say the same thing differently. You can't just sit there and be apathetic and, and do all these things. So hopefully he brings this energy every single day. It's going to be exciting when he gets all of his firsts, if you will, his first opportunity to get amongst the team, his first opportunity to be on the sidelines and be the head coach, his first opportunity in a preseason game, in a regular season game. As these things come and, and he starts to realize the different rivalries of what it means to be in this division of what that all looks like it's vastly different when you get to be the defensive coordinator because you're a coach at that point when you become the head coach you are a facilitator at that point you are sitting there and the identity is taken for the team but it's not as much scheme as it is you making sure that you get the most out of your players and and the energy that he brings is going to really help this team when it's needed most it kind of reminds me of coach double rainbow and i I like to have fun with pete carroll (laughs) But he has, a, he has a culture in Seattle, and they put formidable teams on the field. Don't have to tell Drew about that. And they always bring a certain energy and a certain physicality. I look at Jonathan Gannon in some ways as Pete Carroll 30 years younger. 
just that infectious personality. We haven't seen him out on the field yet, but to hear Zach Paschal talking about his days going against JG when Zach Paschal was a receiver with the Colts and JG was the DB's coach for the Colts and just the trash talking and the competitive fire and the back and forth, I think that's one of the reasons they brought in Zach Paschal. I fully expect that to be out on that field on display for everyone to witness and the standard will be set. The expectation will be set for everyone that this is how we compete every day. And here's the hope that I have. Again, it is voluntary beginning next Tuesday, but there's also a voluntary veteran minicamp the week of the draft, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where you can do a little bit more, get a little bit more interaction amongst your position groups because I hope that there is buy-in. And we'll never know who's here, who's not here, and the attendance, but if you... If you agreed to come to the Arizona Cardinals as a free agent and those young players that are in that locker room still trying to make a name for themselves, I really hope you're in that facility here every single day. I mean, anybody out there who has a job, if you have a new boss, yeah, I think you're on your best behavior trying to make a pretty uh, pretty good first impression if possible, right? First impressions matter. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. We've hit halftime here on the Cardinals Red Sea Reports, presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Two receivers to McCoy's right. He takes the shotgun snap, throws to the left side. McBride caught it at the 35, and he's got a first down before he's bumped out. Pass to the left, caught again by McBride inside the 30. Fighting for yardage, McSorley moving to his right, throwing on the run. It's caught for a first down by McBride, and he stepped out of bounds at the 49 of Denver. Remember, this is a homecoming of sorts for him, having played at Colorado State and winning the Mackey Award last year, which goes to college football's Best tight end. McSorley's pass across the middle, caught by McBride. A first down past the 45-50. Good run, McBride. Running through arm tackles after the catch to the 45 of Denver. Really saw Trey McBride come into his own the latter half of last season, his rookie season. The former second-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals, Trey McBride, now about to enter year two with the Arizona Cardinals as we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. We don't talk a lot about the tight end position, but as much question marks as there are with wide receiver, especially with DeAndre Hopkins, how much more do we see the tight end position utilized? But right now, Paul, when you look at the number of tight ends on the roster, yeah, they have a good number, but how many of them are actually viable. Zach Ertz, you don't know about his status after tearing his ACL and undergoing surgery in November. McBride right now is tied in one. You're going to need more than just Trey McBride going into week one. And by the way, over the course of your intro here in real time, NFL Network just went from talking about how Indy might trade up from number four to get a quarterback and Tennessee might do the same trading up from number 11. So hopefully Monty Ossiford, <laughs> as we speak, is pitting these two teams against each other because where are they going to trade up to? Obviously, number three. So that's neither here nor there. Just giving you a real-time update on the whole trade situation right now in the draft. As for tight end, speaking of the draft, it's loaded. It's considered one of the strongest tight end drafts in many, many years. For example, most of the draft analysts say that in a typical draft over the first 100 picks, you'll get four tight ends taken. This year, there could be eight. It's really deep. So I would not be shocked at all if the Cardinals on day two, and most definitely day three, took a tight end or even two 
considering the depth issues right now, considering the injury status of Zach Ertz, which is an unknown, he had surgery when? November 18th. Okay, so who knows exactly when and where he'll be ready over the course of this season. There's a lot of talented players in this draft, and I would not be shocked, especially since Jonathan Gannon in one of his early interviews after being hired by the Cardinals said the Cardinals are going to live in 11, 12, and even 13 personnel. He, he is a big fan of using the tight end. Drew Petzing has history using the tight end. Cleveland had a loaded tight end room. So, okay, uh, what does that mean for the Cardinals? We don't know what this offense will look like with or without Kyler Murray early in the season, Drew, but you go back on what Philadelphia did well, and Zach Ertz played for the Philadelphia Eagles and Dallas Goddard. They utilized two tight ends very well. Drew Petzing with the Cleveland Browns. How much was the tight end utilized in the Cleveland Browns offense? The running back position as well because those two offenses were more ground and pound as far as seven-step drop. Let me airmail it down the field. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're also talking about a fullback that we haven't seen around here for a long, long time. Um, (laughs) So that's another person you can put in there. You could probably find him in Cleveland if he's the backup fullback. You know, if Drew Petson wants to bring him in, somebody like that that knows the system a little bit. Again, it's old school football. Uh, you know, maybe Wolf maybe wants to sign another contract, <laughs> depending on what he's got left in the tank. But tight ends, I wouldn't be surprised too. And Paul brings up a really good point. I was in uh, Indianapolis. They drafted Kobe Fleener in the second round, and they got Dwayne Allen in the third round uh, wow. after they drafted Andrew Luck. So mm. teams are capable of doing it if they get those guys. Uh, you would like to be able to interject a little bit more of having a veteran um, because you put a premium on the position last year by getting Trey McBride and drafting him as high as he was. At the same time, veteran tight ends are out there still. Maybe they're waiting because they're not. there's not a huge premium on those guys depending on what you want to do, how they're going to fit into your scheme, what they're going to be like. There's a lot of quote-unquote journeyman tight ends that can come at the right price, but maybe they're just waiting to see what's going to be drafted. They want you know A lot of that is getting in the right situation because those guys are also going to be playing special teams from you and so being able to be on special teams and contribute there being active on game day all of these things fit into the puzzle that you're trying to do when you're constructing a team that's why tight ends kind of unique of well you know do they go to the offensive line coach and learn the offensive line play from there as far as the run schemes can be you know concerned are they looking at the wide receiver coach for more of the pass game install so all of this is a work in progress but the lack of depth and numbers are, are alarming right now yeah besides Ertz and McBride you got Chris Pierce who was signed to the practice squad mid-season a year ago Bernhard Sykovitz who has spent the past two seasons as part of the international player pathway program I like what I see when I do see Psycho on the football field but just how raw is he still after two seasons and then a another name that kind of flew under the radar Noah Tongiai who was signed three days after Jonathan Gannon was hired Tongiai spent the past two seasons with the Eagles. Paul. Hmm. Now, he doesn't have any catches over seven career games, but someone that Gannon knows and wants to bring in either as someone that knows what offense Gannon would like to run yep. and be in that tight end room as an extra set of eyes, another coach on the field, if you will, or Gannon has seen something over these past two seasons and Noah just didn't get the opportunity, but there's an opportunity here. Well, and you need bodies. I mean, you need bodies just to get through some of these off-season activities and until you get to the draft and beyond. So in a mandatory minicamp in June, you don't know how the draft is going to play out. You don't know how many tight ends, if any, you'll end up with You know, once you conclude things in the three days. So 
Yeah, it does. You know, look, a lot of these guys are signed. They don't have a big track record. They might not even make the final 53, but they're Cardinals for now. If you're looking at this draft, because I was looking at, okay, who could be realistic? Maybe not the elite group of tight ends, but if you're going to tight end you, Iowa, Sam Laporta is a guy, 6'3", 245. And it's interesting because a lot of the takes on this guy is he's highly skilled. He could really flourish in the NFL. Iowa had the most boring offense of any Power 5 school last year. He was totally underutilized. And then there's the kid out of Cincinnati, Josh Wiley, who could have gone to any of the elite programs around the country, supposedly, but he's a Cincinnati guy, so he went to the nearby uh, Bearcats team. 6'6", 250, had 15 touchdown catches last season alone. So you know, I could see the Cardinals on day two or three going after one of these guys if they fall. Cardinals have two third-round selections, 66 and 96, and then a fourth-round selection at 105. And if you can find a tight end in the third round, fourth round, or Drew, to your point, you're drafting two, maybe one in the third round and another one with pick 168 in the fifth round, Cardinals right now don't have a seventh-round selection. And what happens if you trade DeAndre Hopkins? How many picks potentially there? And because Drew needs a hot take right now, what happens if you trade Isaiah Simmons? What sort of return do you get for an Isaiah Simmons if he's a draft day trade? By the way, you notice, Drew, how often Pauly trade is looking to get rid of players but not really bringing anyone back in return. Just draft picks. I can't do everything around here. Don't make me go up to the war room. I will. Speaking of the draft, some intrigue at position number three. More here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. My key card doesn't get me into the war room. Florida's first offensive player, Richardson, fake the boot. He'll load it up and cut it loose with that big arm. Touchdown, Gators. Here goes Richardson. Long strider and keeps his balance. What a run by Anthony Richardson. Superman in. Richardson trying to find a man in the end zone. Touchdown, Florida. Richardson all day rifles it down the sideline. Touchdown, Florida. 78 yards. Better than 2,500 passing yards, 17 touchdowns, 9 interceptions. Talking about Florida Gator quarterback Anthony Richardson. Maybe the wild card in the draft when you talk about quarterbacks. Six foot four, 232 pounds. He looks every bit that anyone would want as a quarterback, either under center or out of the shotgun. The question, though, is he hasn't done it for very long just one year as a full-time starter and you go to not the touchdowns and interceptions but the completion percentage drew 53.8 percent and just looking at his game log the best percentage of any game was 80 percent but that was when he attempted just 10 passes in a win over eastern washington so there's a lot unknown but based off where this league is going and has gone now for a number of years Teams are either looking for that franchise quarterback or already have one. And the question is, is Richardson a franchise quarterback? Are you asking me? I am asking you. No, he's not a franchise quarterback. Uh, (laughs) For multiple reasons. The completion percentage is, is extremely alarming. That's the starting point. The other point that you get to is the question marks are too large from the standpoint of he's at Florida. The record was six and seven, I believe. You have no idea what you're getting when you are dealing with a quarterback at that caliber because this game comes down to the last two minutes. 
how many game of those games that when he's out on the field are you being able to assess can he go win a football game for you that's where my biggest reservation comes is these guys in college that either haven't been in tight football games or when the game's on the line that's each and every Sunday you got to go out there so you couple your college record which again I'm being completely honest mine was not great at Michigan State I'll, I'll be the first to admit that but you look at his college record of what he was able to accomplish and you couple that with the the subpar completion percentage the measurables are off the charts those are phenomenal but this position in particular is so much more than just measurables the two things that you look at that are most important are winning and completion percentage in my opinion when you're assessing quarterbacks that's why when i got into the league and i was trying to survive as a backup i didn't care about any other stat wins losses that's how you're measured as a quarterback in college his aren't very good what makes you think that when he gets to an nfl team that he's going to be able to flip the script and do that plus he hasn't been asked to do that a lot because apparently he wasn't able to do it when he was at florida yeah if you're that good why wasn't florida better because the quarterback is supposed to uplift everyone not just on offense but defense as well so it is a big question mark cj stroud Bryce Young, guys who have proven track records and have the wins on their resume. That's why they're one and two either way. And Richardson becomes, well, can we pass on someone that we see could be that franchise quarterback? Exactly. And if you're Will Levis, it's a little bit more understandable, right? You're at Kentucky. The the, the caliber of player that you're getting in, it's a basketball school, right? Much like Michigan State is. So we're okay. We can admit that that we we've got to we've got to fight and claw to win football games. When you're at Florida, you get your pick of the litter each and every year of what's going on. You've got the Jordan Brand logo on your shirt. You've got all of these things at your disposal. So that's where I think you differentiate a little bit between Will Levis of yeah, he's got a strong arm. He can do all these things. He also didn't win football games. He might be able to. You don't know because he didn't have the talent around him. I would argue that everybody at Florida is capable of playing at most schools and the SEC is extremely difficult. I get all those things but to have a losing record and have a subpar completion percentage I'm not jumping up to get him by any means. So one of the scouts told me go back and look at week two Kentucky versus Florida this past season in that game Will Levis went 13 to 24 for 202 yards passing a touchdown and a pick. Anthony Richardson in that game went 14 of 35 for a buck 43, zero touchdown passes, two interceptions. You're like, what happened from week one to week two? Because if you remember, Florida jackstopped Utah, a good Utah team in week one last year. Well, turns out in that game, Anthony Richardson ran for over 200 yards. So Kentucky came in, put a spy on Anthony Richardson, said, you're going to have to throw the ball. He couldn't. And they lost Florida at home to Kentucky in that game. So you have that juxtaposed against the uh, C.J. Stroud, who played his best game of his college career in the semifinal loss against Georgia, the eventual national champion, right, in an NFL-caliber defense. If he goes number one overall, I'm guessing a lot of it's based on the fact that he balled out and played his best ball in the highest leverage game of the year. The draft is about projection. You project this player to be this in a year or two or right away. And with Anthony Richardson, people are looking back at what Josh Allen did coming from a small school, Wyoming, didn't have a great completion percentage. It was below 57 his last year, but he was a two-year starter versus a one-year starter, and we did see Allen improve his completion percentage. He became more accurate as a passer in the NFL, but that maybe is just the anomaly and not what you expect every quarterback to do from college 
to the pros. That is not the standard by any means. But you also look at, A, the player has to be able to admit these are where I need to get better. And, and I think he's done that, right? You you look at what Anthony Richardson has, has said to the media, how he's done it. I think it's, it's very receptive to saying, I know I need to get better. I'm an unfinished product. At the same time, there's only so many Brian Dables out there. There's only so many guys that you're going to have around you of Stefan Diggs and going to a good system where you get a little bit of time to develop before they throw you out there. All of these things play into it. Uh, Josh Allen is the exception to the rule that you can increase all of these things. Uh, and saying that, it's a similar set of circumstances. There's question marks with every single one of these quarterbacks. Uh, if I had to take one, I'm taking Bryce Young. His size scares me, yes, but we're going to have daily conversations about how you don't need to take unwanted hits. You need to get down. You don't need to take this unwarranted risk of saying, okay, well, it's okay to be Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and get made fun of for always diving in the pocket. They started a lot of get consecutive games. You have to be self-aware in every facet to play this position. Bryce Young's heard for a long time that he's he's small, he's undersized, he's all of these things. He's a winner. He's a competitor. He's single-handedly won some games for Alabama and did some things and his demeanor everything about him I love the one question marks the size everybody else has too big a question marks for me to feel good about taking in the top 10 thing is where there'll be one team and that's all it takes one team to come up to number three make the Cardinals an offer for Anthony Richardson just based on the potential the measurables it happened with Trey Lance guess what Trey Lance and Anthony Richardson both had 13 college starts under their belt and Trey Lance went number three overall, and three first-round picks were given up. But to Drew's point, I like that about Brian Dable. Look what Brian Dable did in Buffalo with Josh Allen, improving the accuracy, right, and the completion percentage. And then look what he just did with Daniel Jones, a turnover machine in the kind of campaign under Brian Dable that Daniel Jones just turned in and just got paid for it. You talk about, does one team fall in love with Anthony Richardson? Did I not see, although Pete Carroll has been taking selfies with every single quarterback prospect out there, but are the Seahawks a possibility at number five? Yeah, you got Geno Smith, but what do you do after that one season with Geno Smith? There's even mock drafts that have the Seahawks taking Hendon Hooker at number five overall. Here's the thing. They take Jalen Carter, and, uh, you know, with all due respect to Seattle and the 12s, guess what? Jalen Carter turns into Robert Kimdichie, and too bad. You wasted number five overall. We'll bring this full circle. It is the silly season. Three more weeks of draft subterfuge, if you will. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.